Well, welcome everybody. It is great to have you with us today, whether you're hanging out with us here in Waukesha, watching online, or hanging out over in Pewaukee. We like to say that we are one church in several locations. So I'm just glad that wherever you are, that we can be here today. In case we haven't met, my name's John, and I'm one of the pastors here. I spend most of my time working with our care ministries and with our outreach partners. And I want to thank all of you because of your generosity in the big offering giveaway back in October. If you don't know what that is, one week a year, we've done this for several years now, one weekend a year, all the money that comes in that weekend, we give away, we give it away locally, we give it away regionally and globally. And so because of your generosity, the past several weeks, I've been going all over Waukesha County and giving your money away. People love me. But they really love you. We, you heard that we bought a, ba- a van for Redeem and Restore. A couple weeks ago, I went over to Lowell Elementary. And Lowell Elementary, they're in the middle of, a, a, of a building a new playground system. And there's something very special and unique at Lowell Elementary. They have a lot of students that are wheelchair bound. And playgrounds and wheelchairs don't go real well. Your generosity allowed us to purchase a playground piece where the kiddos in wheelchairs can just wheel right into that piece. And so it was my privilege to drop off a check. I think we've got a picture here. This banner is from Lowell. All those wonderful kiddos, they, every student in the school signed that and the staff did as well. And so beyond, just so you know, they are so grateful and they are so thankful for everything that you've done. And then we've reached out to Hebron House, Friends with Food, I was able to go in there and, and give them some money. And so thank you so much because you made me look really good, but humbly, it has been my privilege just to be able to do that and just share the love of Jesus throughout our town. And so it's Thanksgiving weekend, so the standard question, everybody have a good Thanksgiving, right? I did. We had a wonderful time. And I don't know about you, but the past couple of days, specifically Thursday and Friday, yes, I carried it into Friday, they've been a time of testing and challenging for me. And if you remember, we just wrapped up this series last weekend. It was called The Monsters Within. And for seven weeks, we looked at the seven deadly sins. I did not realize the strategic planning of that series until Thursday hit. Go over a couple of these. You don't have to raise your hands. I'll just raise my hand, but maybe some of these will hit with you. Gluttony, anybody overeat? Anybody eat a little bit too much? You don't have to raise hands. <laughs> so not only does my family, not only do we eat too much, we plan on eating too much. We eat early in the afternoon so we can eat again at night when we're not hungry. And what about sloth? Remember sloth? We talked about sloth. I don't know about you guys. After the dishes was put away, I didn't move out of that chair for about an hour and a half. But those sins kept coming because here came envy. And my daughter-in-law, Lauren, made this wonderful pumpkin pie. And she cut up the pieces and she was serving them and she was passing out plates. And she gave me mine. And it was smaller than everyone else's. And all of a sudden I was like... A little envious, maybe a little bit of coveting. And so I already knew that I was struggling with three of those sins. So I did not want to face greed and anger, and I did not go Black Friday shopping. And so I really do hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving, it's this time as a nation where we pause and reflect, and we give thanks And when we give thanks, that leads to gratitude. And when we go to gratitude, then we run into contentment. And maybe you're like me, but when I focus on giving thanks, there's two things that I always notice. The first thing is I notice how 
much I have in every single area of my life. I am so blessed and I'm so fortunate. And then the second thing I notice, I notice how much I have in every area of my life that I completely take for granted. We have the fortune to live in one of the richest countries in the world because of medical advancements, because of technology. We are healthier. We're living longer. We have a higher standard of living than any of our ancestors did before us. The abundance that we have, it's incredible. So Thursday, Kelly and I, we hosted Thanksgiving dinner. And so if you've hosted Thanksgiving dinner, you know that means you have to go out to the stores. And when you're at the grocery stores and it's a couple days before Thanksgiving, you know there's hundreds of people there that do not want to be there. They are on a mission. They want to get out. They want to get in and they want to get out. They're, they're, they're frustrated. They're anxious. Holidays bring anxiety. And so everybody in these stores just wants to get out. And while I was there, I noticed two things. The, second, the first thing I noticed was nobody was smiling. Everybody just wanted to, and I promise I didn't see any of you. They just wanted to get in and out. And then the second thought that occurred to me, here we are in this grocery store. There's more food than any of us can ever consume. And I just started thinking about our ancestors or even a third of today's world population, if we would drop them into those grocery stores, they would have thought that they died and that they went to heaven. And so here's what I've learned about abundance. Abundance can lead to entitlement. And why is that? Because with abundance, we start to blur the lines between our needs and our wants. And when we have all of our needs met, and most of our wants met, then we start thinking that we can have more. And so we want more things. And I know that more things, that they bring us happiness and they can make us feel happy for a little while, but things never satisfy us. There's this concept, it's called the hedonic treadmill. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but the hedonic treadmill, it says this, it says, I will be happy when? And so for me, I could say, I will be happy when I get a new set of irons. And I'm not talking about ironing a shirt here, right? Or I could say, I will be happy when I get a new bike. And I will be. And I'll be happy with that new set of irons. I'll be happy with that new bike for a little bit of while, for a little while. And then it just becomes another thing I have. And then I'm not going to be happy anymore. And so I'll start taking those things for granted. And, and the things I thought would make me happy, now I just want something else. And, and, it, and then treadmill goes on. And, and maybe it goes like this for you. Maybe for you, it's like, I will be happy when. I'll be happy when I graduate. I'll be happy when I get a promotion. I'll be happy when I get a new car. I'll be happy when the right person comes into my life. I'll be happy when I get the house of my dream. But it's this treadmill, and it just goes on and on, and it always leaves us wanting more. And I think this is something that we all struggle with. When is enough going to be enough? And a byproduct of all the technology and living in the 21st century, we're conditioned by algorithms and corporations to never be satisfied. We're never to be satisfied or content with what we have. And as a result, we always want something a little bit more. We always want a little bit more. We want something newer. We want something shinier. We want something faster. We want something new and improved. And I think a perfect product is the iPhone to take a look at. The first iPhone came out in 2007, literally changed our lives. 
Everybody in this room, watching online, over in Pewaukee, your life has been changed because of the iPhone. And then remember in the early days of the iPhone when it came out, and then they came out with the next one? And people would line up around buildings. They would pitch tents the night before just to be the first people to get that new iPhone. Well, the iPhone's been out for 16 years. And in 16 years, there's been 42 versions of the iPhone. Side note, I still wish I never got rid of my 4S as the best phone I ever had. But, but that's the challenge. This is the challenge that we all face. We're conditioned to be discontent. Oscar Wilde famously said, the world belongs to the discontented. But that's not the message we find in the Bible. We were created for more than discontentment. The, the, the messaging of the world, it leads us to wanting more and more. And at the same time, we have less and, and less of what matters. It's that treadmill. It's always chasing more. It's always pursuing more and never being content. But here's the good news. We are not the first people to struggle with this idea of giving, giving thanks expressing gratitude and embracing contentment. In fact, the same was true for the people living in the days of the early church. And today, I want to focus on a guy in the New Testament. His name is Paul. And before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. And when he was Saul, he was a persecutor of Christians. He had them arrested. He stood by at the first martyr when Stephen got killed. Paul stood by and watched it happen. Saul, on the road to Damascus, has an encounter with the risen Christ, with Jesus Christ, and he becomes Paul. He becomes a follower of Jesus. And then Paul goes on to become the best-known missionary ever. And Paul goes on to write 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And he's this highly educated man. And so when Paul is on, his mission, on one of his missionary journeys, he stops in a city called Philippi. Philippi is occupied by retired Roman soldiers and their families. It's a province of Rome. And Paul's there literally for four weeks. He plants this church, and then he appoints elders and overseers and his deacons. And he says, okay, you guys got this. I'm going to go. And so Paul leaves after four weeks, and he continues on his missionary journeys. But what Paul does when he plants a church... He then follows up with the church, and he writes them letters. Many of the books in the New Testament that Paul wrote are letters to these churches. And so the thing that is unique about the letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, ordinarily in the letters that he's writing, he's, he's, he's admonishing them, he's rebuking them, he's correcting their theology, he's straightening them out because they're not being true to the gospel that was presented them. But the letter to the Philippians, it's called the letter of joy. And it's called the letter of joy because of more than 17 times, Paul either talks about rejoicing or he talks about joy in this letter. He's not rebuking them for anything. And I think it's very important to know Paul's context when he writes this letter. See, when Paul writes this letter, he's near the end of his life. He's in his his 60s, which is very old back then. He's in prison in Rome. And in prison, prison today is a horrible place to be. But back then, Paul is either in a dungeon or a dark cave. It's dank. There's no sewage. There's a lack of food. It's cold. He's in a very uncomfortable situation. He's either chained to the wall, and he could have maybe even chained upside down, or he's chained to a Roman soldier. And if he's chained to a soldier, 
soldier, soldier, he can't even move without asking permission. So that's where Paul is when he writes this letter of joy. And in this letter, he writes about giving thanks and being content in all circumstances because he's learned the secret. And so today, in the time we have left, we're gonna look at that secret. So if you have your Bibles or your iPhone, go ahead and pull it out. You open up whatever Bible app you have. We're gonna go to Philippians chapter four, and we're gonna begin in verse four. And the words will also be projected on the screens behind me, but let me start reading. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so Paul leads into this section, and he's like saying, rejoice, rejoice. And he's saying, rejoice because the Lord is near. And if the Lord was near when Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago, that's all the more reason we have to rejoice now, because now we're even 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus. And he tells us, he says, in this world that's filled with fear and worry and anxiety, Paul says, Don't concern yourself with those situations. Instead, take those fears, those concerns to God with prayer and petition. In prayer, we know what it is. And petition, petition is this idea of just repeatedly asking. And the best examples that we have for people who know how to petition are our kiddos. Or when you were a child, it'd be like an hour before dinner and you'd go, mom, I want a cookie. And mom would say, dinner's in an hour, no. And then you'd go, Mom, I want a cookie. And she'd go, no, dinner's in an hour. 15 minutes before dinner, you're wiping crumbs off your face from the cookie that your mom finally gave you. That's what petitioning is. And so Paul says, asking and asking with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And when you do, he doesn't say your prayers are going to be answered. He said God, God's peace will guard us and guide us. So the first thing we can pull out of this lesson in Philippians is we can practice prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And there's a few things that we can do to help us along that way, to get us into that mindset of gratitude. There's a practice many people here at River Glen are in the habit of doing. And if you're not, I want to encourage you to start doing it. Oftentimes, people will keep a gratitude journal. And they'll start or end their day with writing down a few things that they're grateful for. A couple things that happened that day or maybe just the universe, maybe the fact that you can breathe clearly and with healthy lungs, whatever it is. And so you just write that down. And what happens when you start writing down things that you're grateful for? It changes your mindset and you start seeing more things that you can be grateful for. And I I wanna give you a, a little challenge here. If you don't do that yet, Right now, we're about 30 days out from Christmas. So between now and Christmas, just get a piece of paper. It doesn't have to be a journal. It doesn't have to be a notebook. Get a piece of paper and a pen. And just one thing a day, write down one through 30, one thing that you're grateful for. And then when you come to Christmas Eve, take a look at it, and you're going to have 30 things that you can be grateful, that you are grateful for, and it will begin to change your mindset. The second thing you can do is, Kelly and I started doing this, we are not fall and winter people. We, um, 
At our ripe old ages, we finally realized that fall and winter are coming whether we like it or not. And so we started this fall going on what we call a gratitude walk. And we love hanging out over at Lampham Peak. We also love walking around our condo land. And we just, when we're doing this, we just start looking for things that we're grateful for. And I don't know, maybe every fall looks as beautiful as this one did. But it's the most beautiful fall I ever saw in my life. And so just be aware of the things around you that you can be grateful for. Another thing is if you're raising kids or even husbands and wives do this together, when we were raising our boys at dinner every night, we would just take a few minutes after prayer and we're eating dinner, we'd go around the table and talk about things that we were grateful for. And so we would just have this time of gratitude talk. So those are some things that can help you get your mind in the gratitude mindset. So then Paul's going to continue on in this letter. He's coming to the end of this letter. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so what Paul is telling us is Paul is telling us our thought lives matter. Paul's telling us to feed our minds with thoughts that will lift us up, with thoughts that will give us perspective on our lives and our circumstances. And Paul says those thoughts are noble, they're pure, they're lovely, they're admirable, they're excellent and praiseworthy. So the second takeaway from this section of Philippians is we can practice feeding our minds. And that means having a healthy thought life. Often, the best thing we can do to have a healthy thought life is to simply watch what we watch on TV. I know there's a lot of imagery that comes into our homes through television. There's a lot of language that comes through into our homes through television. And if you're sitting there and you're watching something and it's making you feel uncomfortable, it's doing stuff to you subliminally and subconsciously and it's gonna impact how you see. So watch what you watch on TV. Turn it off. Find different shows. Watch less of it. And another thing, one of the best things, if not the number one best thing that you can do is you can learn your Bible. And I know often, you know, in a book I'm going to talk about here in a second, they said 80% of Christians want to know the Bible better because they believe their life will be better. And so the Bible does not read like a story cover to cover. There's all sorts of twists and turns and everything else. But there's all sorts of resources that can help us understand the Bible better. And one of them is called Core 52. Michael Moore's the author. We've talked about this book in the past. And what he's done is he's taken 52 key passages from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he laid it out in a book form where you take one passage a week and in 10 to 15 minutes a day, five days a week, you're going to, in a year's time, understand the storyline of the Bible from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis to the New Testament, where the, where the Bible wraps up in the book of Revelation. And so take the time to understand the Bible. And then another way that you can feed your mind and be in control of what's coming into your mind, when I drive in the car these days, I do not listen to the radio anymore. I listen to podcasts. I listen to sermons from other churches. And, and of course, in Wisconsin, Caleb. So I'll also listen to Christian music. We become what we think about. And we think about what we feed our minds. And, and what we feed our minds, it shapes our worldview and it becomes our reality. And Paul continues on. And this is going to take us to our third point. Paul says, 
Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen me in me, put it into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. Now, lastly, Paul was saying here is enough about talking. Let's start doing. James, the brother of Jesus, he said it this way. He said, don't merely be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And the, the, the great philosophers over at Nike, they said it this way, just do it. And so <laughs> practice doing the thing. And the practice doing the things, what we call the things here, they're the three C's. It's celebrate, it's connect, and it's contribute. But we didn't make those up. We believe we become better followers of Jesus when we celebrate, we connect, and contribute. But that's what we see the early church do. In the book of Acts, that is exactly what they did. They got together, they celebrated, they worshiped, they studied the apostles' teaching. And so that's what we do on the weekend. We get together and we celebrate, right? We get great music. We take time and generosity. We take time remembering what Jesus taught, what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then we listen to solid biblical teaching. That's how we celebrate. But it's not just limited to the weekend. Take time. Take time for yourself in silence and solitude and connect yourself with Jesus. God tells us to pray without ceasing. And then we talk about connecting. And connecting simply means is get together with a group of other people. Get together with people outside of River Glen, outside of the weekend, where you can talk about the weekend message, you can talk about the scriptures, you can talk about how to apply them to your lives, and you hold each other accountable. And then the third thing is contributing. And there are so many different ways to contribute. You contribute in generosity through the offering. You, many people contribute as they serve here, but your contribution isn't limited to here. Waukesha County is rife with organizations that would love you and your gift sets to come and volunteer with them. And, and so Paul goes on to say, Paul's going to go on to say, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. So what Paul is saying right here, he's acknowledging them. They have sent him financial support. They've been taking care of him, and they've sent him money. So he's acknowledging the financial support. Then he goes on in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul says, I know the secret of being content in every single situation, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. And, and our natural tendency, this is important that Paul is teaching us what contentment means, is because our natural tendency is to not be content. Left to our own devices, we are always going to want more. We're always going to pursue more. And we're never sure how much more is enough. But the answer always is, I just need a little more. Paul is saying he can be content in any circumstance. And now remember, when Paul writes this, he's facing death. And that's the very thing that some of us fear and worry about. Fear and worry dominate the 24-7 news cycle. I, I ran across an interesting article. It was written by Earl Nightingale, and he wrote on worry. And here's what he had to say. He said, 40% of the things that we worry about are never going to happen. 30% of the things that we're, we worry about happened in the past, and we cannot do anything about them. 12% of the things we worry about 
our silly little health issues. Oh, my arm, my shoulder, this must be the end. 10% of our worries are petty, miscellaneous worries. Am I going to find a parking spot? Am I going to be on time? And then he says, 8% of our worries are legitimate worries. 92% of the average person's worries, 92%, they take up valuable time, they cause painful stress, they cause mental anguish, and they're absolutely unnecessary. A full 92% of our worries. Of the legitimate worries, of the 8% that remain, there are two kinds. There are the worries that we can do something about, and there are the worries we can't do something about. The majority of our worries are problems that we can fix and do something about. But when we spend 92% of our time in worry and in fear of things that are never going to happen, it impacts our relationships, it impacts us physically, it impacts us mentally, and it impacts us spiritually. We live a less than life. What we fill our minds with, it becomes our reality and it plays out in our lives. If we think the worst, we expect the worst, and we get the worst. And yet Paul isn't afraid or worried because here's the secret. Paul said in verse, four, in verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. See, Paul's contentment, it comes with, from his relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The secret to contentment, it doesn't lie in our circumstances. Paul was in content. He was content in his circumstances because he knew that he was a sinner and he needed a savior and Jesus was that savior. Paul knew that Jesus went to the cross. He paid Paul's sin price. He paid my sin price and he paid your sin price. And Paul knew that Jesus rose on the third day in victory and as followers of Jesus, we rise with him in victory. Paul's contentment lies in what Jesus did for him. Paul's contentment comes from his relationship with Jesus. I can be content in all circumstances and I can do all things because of Christ. So begin with giving thanksgiving. Just be thankful and that's gonna lead to gratitude. Practice gratitude and when you give thanks and when you practice gratitude, you're gonna find contentment in your circumstances. And so I covered a lot, but for, there's, there's something for every one of us to take away, maybe for you. It's just practice, practicing prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Maybe you need to practice feeding your minds or, or, or maybe you just need to take part in the three C's. You need to celebrate, contribute, and, and connect, and you need to do it. What is it for you? Because there's something for all of us. And now maybe for some of you, maybe your next step is to express your gratitude in baptism because that's where we can find contentment. At River Glen, we do baptisms, and the favorite thing we do here is baptism. And when we baptize, when we step up to be baptized, what we're doing is we're saying that we want to align our lives with Jesus Christ. 
We want to live our lives for him. We know that he paid the price on the cross for us. And we step forward and we make this public proclamation. And if you've been thinking about being baptized for a while and yet you've just never done it, I want to encourage you to take those steps, to sign up for it. If you've got questions about baptism, you can head out to the Next Next Steps Hub in the lobby. People will be out there happy to answer those questions. I'll be out in the lobby. I'd be happy to talk to you about baptism. But I think we can just think about for a minute, imagine the world that we would live in if collectively, in our schools, in our families, in our home, we gave thanks, led to gratitude, and that leads to contentment. What if we just practice that in our area of the world? And what impact would we have? How would we impact others? What would the ripple effect be of just a church, a nation, a city of people practicing contentment? I, I, I believe it would change the world if we would simply find our contentment in Jesus and share that with others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Our hearts are filled with gratitude, just the fact that we can be here today, that we can focus on who you are, we can focus on what you did, and and we can focus on the impact that it has in our lives. Lord, apart from you, we're just going to continue to pursue things. So may what we pursue, may it be the truth that we find in Scripture, may it be the truth that we find in baptism, may it be the truth in Jesus. Lord, we're all in different places. In whatever place we're in, you have put us in those places, God. And so if we're in a place of little, give us contentment in that, Lord. Help us in that need. And if we're in a place of plenty, Lord, may it be clear, perfectly clear to us that we're there so, when we, so that we can impact others. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son so that one day we would be reunited with you again. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.